So by now, I'm hoping that you've heard about the brand new PodCore subscription that Speech Therapy PD has rolled out. For $79 a month, you get over 175 hours of ASHA continuing education with 19 new episodes a month. That's fantastic. Well, they want to make sure that you also know we have a brand new coupon code. So the coupon code is F as in first, B as in bite, followed by the number 20, FB20. And that brand new coupon code will give you $20 off the PodCourse subscription. So you get 175 hours of continuing ed plus an average of 19 new hours a month, all for $59 a year. And we cover everything from early intervention to schools to adults to ethics. So be sure to type in F as in first, B as in bite, and then the number's 20. Enjoy your coupon, or as my kin folks say, enjoy that coupon. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional a speech therapy podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina, and I guess lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate by way of a nerdy conversation. So there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or, as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy joy, and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee by way of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels, and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Y'all, I am so excited and humbled to have our guest today, because today we get to share an hour with the one and only Haley Jones, CAE, former volunteer operations manager with ASHA. And y'all, she is also a cat person. And I will openly admit I live vicariously through her social media feed because as much as I love cats, that's how allergic my husband is. And I, I do love him a wee bit more. Okay. All right. So this is the part where I get to share the backstory. 
Y'all, I first met Haley several years ago when I was contemplating applying for the ASHA Leadership Development Program. However, I was gripped by fears of inadequacies. I didn't attend a top 10 college or university. I went to good schools, but it took me a while to get there because I'm the oldest of five. Money has always been budgeted. And y'all, I like really enjoyed my high school experience. So my grades were a little bit squishy iffy, but community college was where I started. There it was. And I'm proud to say that because like millions of us out there, it was the perfect choice for me and my family. But I was fearful to apply to this major program because I felt and sort of still do feel like I don't belong at the table with those who come from a lot. So I called Asha and I was introduced to Haley and she made me feel comfortable and confident through a series of 15 minute phone conversations that I honestly just don't even remember. Don't know if you remember that we had those, but we did. And dear friend, it literally changed my life. That program taught me so much and shaped me to seek out stakeholders in all aspects of my professional and personal walk. And it taught me the importance of seeking out diversity and cultural competency training. Because I only know the culture that I grew up in, and there is so much more beauty in the world in addition to the hills of my youth. But I had to be brave, and I had to seek it out. And let me let me phrase this slightly different. When you have a little one who has a new disorder or diagnosis that you've never heard of, before you write your treatment plan, don't you seek out details on the etiology? That way you can develop that competent plan of care? Exactly. So when we work with a family from a different culture, shouldn't we seek out information on how to collaborate with them to the best of our ability? What about when you have a new colleague from a different culture and they ask off for a holiday that you've never heard about? Wouldn't it be amazing to learn about that culture and send warm wishes their way? All right, so this is a super long intro, but it's important to understand that we need to have these conversations, this education, this collaboration, and it must come from leadership because a strong leader will guide their allied health team with grace, with kindness, with passion, and with cultural competency. And Haley is that leader, and she is here to teach us how to lead. So, Haley, hello, sweet friend. How is the hello, new kid? He's Hi. wonderful. <laughs> He's his name is his name his full name is Teddy Graham Jones, but all the men in my family go by middle name, so he he goes by Graham. I love that. <laughs> he will be. He'll actually be a year old in March. Um, I adopted him in July. About a month and some change after my 12 year old uh, tuxedo Brody passed. So uh, I, I, if it hadn't been for quarantine, I don't know if I would have gotten another one so quickly, but he is, I say to him all the time, he's the perfect fit and he's impossibly cute. <laughs> and everyone, I feel a sense of pride when we go to the vet and they look at him and they're like, Oh my God, you are so adorable. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it, but for whatever reason it feels, I feel a sense of pride with it. <laughs> uh, oh my God. I love it. When, when you were, okay. So folks, when Christmas happened and the Christmas tree was up, like, <laughs> like devouring the tree. I was like, yes. I mean, our, my favorite Christmas memory with Chewbacca is one day it was, I mean, it's the South, right? Like we don't get snow. It was like 
humid and muggy and pouring rain out. And Chewy looked at the front door and was like, nope. He looked at the side door. He's like, nope. He looked at me, looked at the Christmas tree, looked at me. And I swear my life, that dog smiled at me. And then he took a whiz all over our fake Christmas tree. And and Bear and Goose Goose comes running in. He goes, oh no, baby Jesus. And I was like, oh God. Yes. Cultural competency 101. Chewbacca should not pee on the tree of baby Jesus. There we go. That's a great intro. We are rocking this. (laughs) (laughs) Mischievous pets and diversity. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh my stars. Okay. Well, y'all seriously, when I first met Haley, I was so nervous to apply for that program. And so I called Asha. I literally have them on speed dial and uh, well, not speed dial, but like they're saved to my phone. And so I called him up and was like, I'm looking in this program and I, I don't know if I can commit a year. I mean, the babies were little, right? Like we, I don't even think Bear was two know, What yet. year was that? That was 2017. So. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bear was, Bear was two. Who in their right mind thinks that they can do a year long program with a two year old and a four year old? I mean, that's absurd, but I did. And so like, but I called you and I was, I was so afraid to even apply. And you were just so calm and you, and you talked about the program with such, with such confidence that it would make me better, that it would propel our future forward. That it was like, I need this. And it was amazing. And I made lifelong friends through it too. So that was just, that was awesome. But you you've done this for multiple associations. So can you talk to us about like how did you get into like associations and the work that you do? Uh well, so as far as associations, I feel like most of us who work in associations didn't graduate from college with that intent. Uh I needed a job and I couldn't find one right away. And uh I was doing I'm I was a college athlete and so my backup was working basketball camp, the basketball camp circuit in DC until I uh, found, and I was interviewing while that was going on um, until I could find a job and I just wasn't finding the right fit. And someone, I, it was so long ago, I don't want to age myself, but it was a long time ago. And someone told me to uh, contact a woman who had her own temp agency And I did, and she had a position at um, an association in Old Town, Alexandria. Um, So I I did attempt to hire a position there for, I think the intent was just for a few weeks to see how it went. After about three or four days, um, they were like, we want her to stay on board full time. And uh, I just, I bounced around (laughs) to associations after that. Where Asha was the longest I, I was at, I was there for almost... Uh, eight years. Um, but I had started in, well, what, uh, so I'll, I'll say this in ASHA terms. My first job was something similar to the ASHA Action Center. Um, and then I got into membership, uh, retention and um, recruitment, and then business development, and, and then back to member recruitment. And then when I came to ASHA, uh, it was volunteer operations. And um, I remember reading the job description and I didn't know about the leadership development program. I, I didn't find that out about that until I started actually, but um, the job itself, I was like, this is perfect. And um, 
it was a really obviously a very great place to work and I was really excited to go and I remember my first day I, I came home I was like it's like Disney World there it was amazing <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> but, I love um, Disney World by the way <laughs> <laughs> it was it was just everyone was so kind and so welcoming and the culture at Asha is just incredible uh so uh I remember I kind of when I started the the reiteration of the leadership development program was one cohort was halfway through uh, there was healthcare in schools at the time um, that we call now like internally we call LDP one I think we're one and two I should say actually um, or what no it was L, sorry it was like LDP one healthcare LDP one schools. I ended up in my seven plus years, I think I did like um, 16 groups or something. Um, and I think now they're probably on like 19 or 20, I probably 20 by now. Um, so it's been, I don't know, I've been gone for two years. It feels like it's been longer, <laughs> but it, uh, it really, that program kind of being able to work with that program completely changed what I wanted to do with my career. Um, and really, uh, gave me this huge interest in leadership development, all things, leadership development, I will read or watch anything I can for it. So, um, when I left there, I went to, I'm at the American Staffing Association. We had, um, which is ironic because this all started from a woman who works at a temp agency, which we would call staffing firms. Um, <laughs> but uh, very full circle. But she, uh, I, but here I, I actually fell into doing our diversity and inclusion initiatives um, just because of retirement of staff, COVID changing my job because I did a lot of um working with different uh, state uh, networks or groups of people to do in-person events. Obviously, come March, we couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> so uh, those got put on pause. Everything was put on pause. And um, when everything happened this summer with uh, Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and then finding out about Breonna Taylor and we had members calling asking, you know, what are we doing about this? Because I managed... I managed 10 different councils. I did at the time, um, have more now, but, uh, I managed 10 different councils that, uh, and so a lot of my members, especially black members were calling like, what's going on? Like where we have our, our, our DNI group is called the idea group. It stands for inclusion, diversity, equity, excuse me, inclusion, diversity, and equity advocacy group. Um, and we, uh, they did a lot. They, they've been in existence for about seven years, but a lot of what they were doing was um, more on the kind of trying to recruit people or, or talking about supplier diversity, but not outward facing, talking about racial injustice. And this was the time for them to put their foot down and say and um, do something. So uh, the person who originally managed them had retired and uh, there was an interim person, but she was uh, bogged down with stuff because this technically was not her workload. She, she inherited it until a replacement came along. And um, we were, when we brought, uh, we're in, my team is member engagement. So we're kind of all over the place <laughs> with programming. And we, we you hear a lot, probably if we hear the most um, from members based on the work that we do and the amount of virtual networking that we have. And, um, 
I said, she's this woman said, you know, I don't have, I want, I know this is important, but I don't have the bandwidth and I don't know who does. And we're on zoom. And I, I slowly raised my hand into my little zoom box. And, uh, she's like, you want to do this? And I, I just said, saying someone's got to, it's really important. And, um, I have the bandwidth because most of my job was put on pause. I was fine. I was kind of inserting myself in other ways to, uh, you know, help with some of the virtual engagement that we were doing since that's all we could do. Um, but, but yeah, that's kind of how I, my, uh, fall into DNI. And now, um, you know, we had a really good, it's weird to say, cause it came up from a bad, a bad event, a few bad events. Um, but we had a strong showing of programming for it. And, um, I'm literally just had a call two days ago to, uh, go over stuff for 2021 that we're going to do. And the, it's a lot, but it's exciting and it, it needs to happen. And um, so I'm excited for it. So um, it, I have this entire conversation about diversity, inclusion, and cultural competency in my shoes a dear friend, a dear mentor told me that I have the power as a white female with a voice to affect change. And I felt, I, I don't know how to describe how I felt. And I was like, but I'm just one person. And she, she mentioned, and she's mentored and continues to, and she told me yesterday and she goes, yes, but you have the ability to open people's eyes to daily little occurrences that they wouldn't otherwise see, such as a, 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 a coworker mentioning in passing something that's going on that should be going to the chair of my department. I mean, it shouldn't be said in passing to me. It should be said to our chair. And there's racial divide there. And that's why it was said to me, right? <clears throat> and, you know, little, little occurrences like that. Um, when I had therapy with a patient and I brought um, a beautiful student with me and she's kind and she's wonderful and she's black. And the parent was um, not white and she was not black and she refused to engage with the student. And I had to redirect continuously in the therapy session to stand up for my student. And we got in the car and I was like, I am so sorry. I didn't anticipate the, the, the parent. I, I no longer work with this family, but I didn't anticipate the family to behave like that. And the student turned to me and she goes, honestly, I'm, I'm so used to it. It didn't even phase me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just, my, I wanted my stomach hurt and my heart broke and this is not okay. And these are, this is the time and this is, and we, and we have the opportunity to have these conversations so that we can do better. So here we are. And thank you for letting me sweet talk you into having these conversations. <laughs> because like, honestly, it's fearful for like, I worry about saying the wrong thing. I mean, I grew up in like, Redneckville, right. And 
I don't have the same beliefs and ideology as um, some of my family. Um, some of my family and I are currently not talking because I think the world is a beautiful place and love is everywhere and Black Lives Matter. And saying that does not belittle or take away from anybody else. And some folks can't see that difference. Yeah. And that's hard. So before I start crying about that, because I mean, I love my family. I just, you know, things are different. This is okay. Okay. So if folks want to get started on this, I worry about one, using the wrong terms. And and that's just, I mean, I, I don't know if what I'm supposed to say. Even when I go to describe an individual, I worry about causing offense, but that, and also I'm an empath and have like anxiety. So there's also that like full disclosure. (laughs) But when we go to look at setting up a diversity and inclusion team, or we're considering this, what are, what are our top factors? And I know this particular industry is what 90 some percent white females so how do we go about doing this effectively and without causing offense? Well, so that's something that actually we we try to we're I'm actually working on programming for this for our members as well, but um we so I'll explain how we how we went about this internally because we actually set up an internal group. Uh, we felt that, that there was a need for one. Um and and this honestly opened the door uh, everything that was going on opened the door to have some pretty uh, frank conversations with our senior management. Uh, I had several conversations with my CEO and COO about it um, because it, I don't know, it was weird this year. It just, it's like, oh, we can actually talk about this now, honestly, without being punished for it. <laughs> um, not And not to say that we would have been, but there's just that fear. Um, but one thing that we talk about a lot is, uh, for one, just uh, educating yourselves. <laughs> we, I'm not, I'm by no means, I am, and I am I an expert. And I'm still learning a lot, especially where, uh, in, you know, in staffing, uh, I I joke that that the staffing industry is a lot like the association industry, where there's literally an association for everything, and there's literally a staffing firm for any job you can think of. But that being said, they they also staff all different kinds of people. Um, so uh, to just keep in mind that like diversity is not just about race. It's about physical abilities. Um, it could, you know, sexual orientation or, or preference or whatever it is. Like um, one thing that we're doing, I'm working on now is a lot that, and I'm learning a lot. Um, we have a, a partnership with ODAP, which is the Office of Disability Employment Policy. And, uh, they, there are so many branches of ODEP and different um, things that people just don't think about. Uh, so uh, I didn't know that was an entity. Yes, it is. And it, uh, I, I admittedly, I don't think I knew that before 2020. <laughs> and um, just the, the different, they have, I mean, they have um, all these different organizations within themselves uh, to help people with disabilities. Um or even like learning, uh, learning deficiencies or whatever it is. Like, uh, goal, uh, Goodwill is another one too who does that, which I did not know because I think we mostly all know Goodwill for dropping off like items to donate. Um, 
But I'm sorry, I'm laughing because we cleaned out my attic for the first time since we moved into our house. And when I pulled up to the Goodwill, the lady looked at me like I was crazy because my SUV was so full, I barely fit <laughs> in it to drive over there. And she was like, um, are you moving? And I was like, well, no, we moved three times in like nine months and then we had babies. And so we finally got around to this. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> that was so much crap. Oh, my God. I'm a clean hoarder, I promise. Okay, continue. <laughs> okay, so um, so with our internal group, really what ended up happening was there was a group of us that wrote a letter um, saying, you know, this is these are things that we, we think need to be addressed, and we'd like to create a, a diversity team of staff members to do this. Uh, what ended up happening was that they just kind of garnered interest for, uh, you know, if you're interested, contact so-and-so. And so we're a small, compared to what I'm used to at Ash, Ash is like 300 people. We have 40. So <laughs> um, to me, it's a small staff. It's, I think it's technically a medium sized, uh, but we, um, I think, gosh, of the 40 of us, maybe it's like 42 of us, almost 20 were interested, um, which is, you know, as wow. to have as uh and they didn't want to turn people away. So we actually created different task forces. But one thing that um, in talking that, that we, we realized we were getting ahead of ourselves and it's like figuring out why this team actually exists and what problems we want to address before figuring out how we're actually going to address them. Um, everyone was coming up originally with uh, like from the gate with ideas on how to address what was going on and what, and like, we can do this, that, and the other, but not talking about, well, what's the problem we need to fix uh, first. And so, so um, coming up with a problem statement was, it was interesting because it it's, it's harder than it seems, you know, all this, like, you see examples of things that are going on or, um, but to actually sit down and, and, not uh, consolidate it, but to really like focus on what the effort needs to be for the greater good of everyone. It was actually a little bit more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Um, but um, you know, we we met regularly. It took it took a very long time, and that's the other thing is that you <laughs> patience is key because you. It was frustrating to take as long as we were taking, but at the same time, you don't want to rush anything. You want to make sure that you're doing it correctly, and that was even with the. And I, the outward facing programming that I was putting together for our members, it was trying to get them um, making sure that we were doing it right. So when we took over, it was July, but we didn't put out our first program until October. Um, and, and that's just because of the amount of work that went on behind the scenes to, to make sure that it was good um, to get speakers, the right speakers, um, and make sure that it was just done correctly. That right there I have found might be the most important bit of advice for all things. Y'all, we rush. As a society, we rush. We rush to judgment. We rush to action. We rush with our responses. Literally take that extra breath. Yeah, definitely. And then work through this because we have to do this right. And yeah, no, I just, there's so much I want to say that it, I don't know how to say it the correct way. So I'm just going to be quiet. 
Well, and so, and let me say with that too, um, it's, it, it's okay to make a mistake if you say the wrong thing. Um, I have a friend who uh, felt like, well, she was saying the wrong thing and she kept getting corrected. And, and, um, and we weren't correcting her in, a, um, in an aggressive or uh, abrasive way. It was just, I think she was, she was frustrated because she was getting corrected because what she was, she didn't understand why what she was saying was wrong. And then it went immediately from, um, questioning why she was wrong to just saying, well, everything I say is wrong, so I'm just not going to say anything at all. And that's not okay either. Uh, people have to go into this, especially with uh, the, like we, uh, we had an a internal team meeting the other day and we have some tough conversations about stuff and it's okay to, uh, you, you have to be mentally pre- and emotionally prepared to have a tough conversation, but you have to go in with a listening mind um, and that was what I felt like she was missing. And I'll say when we we revisited that conversation a few months later, um, you know, we changed our approach a little bit, but so did she. And it, and she received the information, you know. And um, so I think it's just important for people to know that uh, there's actually there's a there's a speaker named Jessica Pettit who has this really great flow chart about having um, tough conversations, and uh, and it talks about listen being like listening with an open mind um understanding that you're probably going to make a mistake but that it's okay and you can correct it and that's how we learn you know um, but uh I, I highly recommend checking her out i know that she's got a few reels to uh I mean, she's a professional dni speaker she's been speaking for about 25 years i believe um but she is uh she's really she's funny she she's like really relatable in the way that she she uh says the her information but but she's got this awesome flow chart that i actually keep next to or like keep saved on my desktop for easy access because it really it's helpful it's it's really helpful um for difficult conversations like that can you email that to me pretty please yeah of course i would love that and and that's that that's hard i have a friend that will transition from a she to a them and I always say, yes, ma'am, because I mean, if I didn't, my butt was going to get whooped when I was right. a kid. So, like, let me be perfectly clear. Like that was literally got beat into me. I understand that you respect your elders and you offer respect, but when they transitioned, I didn't know how to still maintain that sense of respect with the new pronoun. And also, because I knew them previously, I I, I still slip. But my sweet mm-hmm. friend, Mern, always, always corrects me with kindness. So if I say, well, and then she she's doing good, like everything's great. And she's like, they are doing great. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. But it's, it's it hard. Takes, it's hard. It, it's hard. But and, – and bless the sweet boys. They – you know, they're learning pronouns and like learning parts of speech in school. And that's a whole new take on curriculum that our teachers are going to have to learn to embrace and, and, and start working with. And so, um, we've, we've kind of broached it from, uh, how to, how to be polite. And if the individual changes, like if you say yes, sir, and they say, no, it's yes, ma'am, or vice versa, 
they know who they are and you be respectful of their mm-hmm. choice. Mm-hmm. And, and, <laughs> and I have found that when we try as a family, it's been very well received. And so if one child does one and the other child does another, and I'm thinking of our dog groomer, um, Mr. Ray just, Mr. Ray's like, it's all right, Suge. (laughs) 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 Also, I need to call Mr. Ray because dog needs to get um, done. And uh, (laughs) and Mr. Ray gives her, um, dyes her paws pink. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's great. Uh, uh, Yeah. My husband does not like that, but I mean, I told him (laughs) Dog can have pink paws or mommy can have purple hair. Take a pic. Somebody's getting done. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's interesting that you say that, though. I, uh, my sister has a friend who recently um, started to change their pronouns from he, him to they, them. And, um, and, and privately to her and a few people. And then um, publicly at the beginning of like, uh, literally like three weeks ago. um, And, it, and I, I have known them for however long she has. So, so like about, I don't even know now, seven years, six, seven years. Um, and, and it is it's very hard. I don't, I don't see them regularly. She does talks to them regularly, but um, sometimes when she and I are talking and she says he, and I mean, and I say, Oh, is, I thought it was they, because the, the first thing that I asked when she told me was, uh, are the pronouns changing? And um, she's like, oh, you know, I didn't think to ask. And she asked and um, and they're really appreciative of it. And but it also uh, corrects her anyone with with really like grace and patience, which I think is so big uh, to to do, because I'm sure I, I'm sure it's they're probably used to it. But also it can be frustrating because um, it is a big change for everyone. But and we're going to get it wrong. But again, it's like it's okay to, it's okay if you're trying to learn and correct yourself. Okay. So years ago, our state association board was all, um, middle-aged white ladies Mm -hmm. and, and basically from similar school setting. And I had a problem with that. And as well as some of the other boards, because our, our other board members, because we did not demonstrate diversity and professional settings or our society on our board. We are not all pediatric school-based early intervention-based clinicians by any stretch of the means. And what was scarier was it was also predominantly just from like one local area. Mm. And so we had to seek out volunteers from diverse professional backgrounds diverse regions across our state because when you have i mean you know the area that you're from i mean i i grew up in white oak virginia which is outside of fredericksburg right it ain't much okay, to yeah. it yeah right <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> you got it right so um although they do have a stoplight where i'm from now so like that's all oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making it up. <laughs> okay. So this is, but that, those pieces are, <laughs> it's so scary that you know exactly where that is. This is, this, those pieces are important. But in our attempts to, in my attempt to do right, I did wrong. 
I wrote a grant uh, and submitted it to ASHA, and we didn't get it approved, but it was myself and another middle-aged white lady, and we wrote a grant to try to increase diversity and inclusion within our state association membership volunteer pool and on our board. And it was denied. And I got some really great feedback afterwards. And it was something that I would not have considered. And it was, it would have been nice to have seen some diversity in um, those applying mm-hmm. for the grant, right? Mm-hmm. To have a, a, a member of one of those communities as a stakeholder in the process. And that was profound feedback. I had never thought of that, right? I was I was just so gung-ho on doing the right thing that I didn't see what I didn't see, right? Yeah. And, but at the same time, it was a catch-22 because we were lacking in that area, right? And, and now I can proudly say that we're not, um, but it took outreach to grow and change. And, and that was a consideration. So when you're going about diversity and inclusion initiatives, you may want to consider making sure that you have um, individuals from a multitude of different backgrounds on that committee because it's it's their voices that need to be um, have an increase in volume, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sitting here. I'm like, as no one can see me, I'm sitting here shaking my head, like, yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, that's uh, that is so. That's something that I, I that I think a lot of organizations and associations and boards struggle with. Um, it's something that are uh so one thing with in the staffing industry now is that um people want diverse candidates and they want to know that you can give them diverse candidates for these job positions and so it's a kind of uh they're kind of in a similar boat just uh, a different dynamic i guess but we uh you know when i was working in asha it was different for me it was a little bit different i worked in on the governance team and we were um we were pushing throughout with all of our um, committee folks like that we needed diverse diversity and, and diversity in ASHA is different than other places because like you said, ASHA is predominantly uh, women, white women. And um, so it was a lot of, so diversity for us was, and oh, and, and, mo- and you know, very heavy, um, uh, the, the membership skews very heavy towards SLPs. And that's just the nature of, of the, the field, but we, um, we actually, for us, diversity was audiologists, <laughs> men, yeah. minorities, yeah. young people. And, um, so that was, uh, a big push. I worked with the early career, uh, what was the, the committee was the next gen, next gen and an ad hoc committee. And that was the one big initiative we had was trying to get, um, early career professionals involved in a lot of this stuff um, because it is a, it is an offering a, a diverse perspective. Um, and if and folks notice, the board is split down the middle with um, speech and audiology, purposefully split like that um, so that we have equal representation on all, on both sides. Um, with, 
Yeah, with with boards and stuff like I, I have seen this with other associations as well. And I'm a firm believer in that um, your board should somewhat mimic what your membership looks like. Um, And, uh, you know, I've worked places where it doesn't at all. It is um, mostly I are mostly white men or um, and handpicked minorities sometimes. And, and it's obvious when that happens. And one thing that we've been trying to, um, a point we've been trying to get across with our members is, you know, that's great that you want to seek out diverse candidates. They're all out there and it's not hard to find them, but you have to meet them where they are. Um, and you, and you also have to do it without checking a box. (laughs) Um, you, you know, you don't want to say, uh, that, you know, oh, well, I don't know if they're qualified, but they're black. So here you go. <laughs> there's there's oh your first candidate, you know. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And that's even something with, uh, you know, even with the current political, how different the cabinet is going to look um, and how diverse it is. And, and I, you know, you see comments from both sides that some people are like, oh, this is amazing. Look at all this diversity our cabinet is starting to look like America and you have other people are saying they just, they're a diversity hire and not even acknowledging the fact that they actually know that they're not a diversity hire. They actually have incredible <laughs> qualifications for this position. They just happen to be diverse. Um, okay. There is one cabinet position member and this is y'all put all politics aside. This one post I am incredibly proud of. My family is Irish. We are come here, but I am also Native American. I'm Padawamic and Cherokee. So a huge part of me is, but we were here first. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, but nobody sees that because you know what? I am super pasty white girl and I burn if the sun looks at me. Okay. So, <laughs> and, and my poor kids do too. And so like we have more suntan lotion. It's January, February, and I'm going to put suntan lotion on my kids. Um, but, but um, the cabinet for the Homeland um, Interior Department, I'm butchering it. She is from Native American background. Oh, yes. Oh, I just goosebumps when you said that. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And that was validation for my soul that we matter because those were my people that were forced across the country. Those were my people that were displaced. That's part of me, too. And to have someone that has a voice to stand up for us. I have goosebumps and I'm crying again. That is so powerful because, because we count. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So, okay. This yeah. is why I got the box of no, tissues. That's Haley. Why I <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I get true. what you're saying though. That's how, honestly, that when, um, when Kamala Harris was being sworn in, I knew I was going to, I was, I was so happy on Wednesday, but when she was sworn in, I just, oh my God, I was, I burst tears and I didn't expect to. I thought maybe I'll, a, a, well, a single tear might stream down my face, but oh no, I was boohooing in my living room and so happy. It, it was more, it was actually more when she was done. And because 
of just everything that symbolized. We had, uh, I have a nine-year-old niece and this is, this I'll share this because this just makes me laugh. So when, um, over this, she just turned nine a few months ago. So over the summer, uh, she was, uh, we were talking about, uh, the president and, and the upcoming election and stuff. And um, ultimately, once we knew that the um, the candidates were going to be, uh, she, she would talk about Kamala Harris, but um, um, I, I knew she wasn't going to make it past the primaries, but uh, she didn't because she's nine. And, and when uh, <laughs> we, I said uh, on, uh, you know, she talked about her again. I said, do you know who, who our vice president candidate is? And she said, uh-huh, Kamala Harris. And I was like, yeah. And and honestly, I'll say, you know, she's never, she was born during Obama's presidency. So she doesn't, she doesn't know that what a big deal that was because that's just all she knows. And she doesn't totally get what a big deal it is for Kamala Harris either. And um, my sister was talking to her on Wednesday night. She said, did you watch the inauguration? She's like, yep. And uh, she said, uh, did you, uh, did you see Kamala Harris get sworn in? She goes, yeah. She's like, isn't that so cool as a black woman or black and Asian American woman getting sworn in? And she goes, yeah, I mean, daddy said she looks like me, but we don't look anything alike. <laughs> and, and I got the innocence of a child. Like she, she, she's a piece of work, but she, um, but I just, I watched that and I think of her and, um, just, you know, how I know like right now she doesn't understand the significance of it, but when she's older and, and, and understands what a big deal it is, it's just like this happened, this is possible for you too. It's, it was just a really cool moment. We, we, I asked the boys that night, we were, we were tucking them in <clears throat> after bedtime prayers. And I said, you know, and, and my husband's phenomenal. Right. And I was like, all right, Bubbies, what would you say? What would you do if your wife said, I want to be president? Goose was like, I'd say, all right, I'm in. How can I help? And I was like, good job, Bubby. And then I was like, Bear, what would you say? And he proceeded to make a series of fart noises. And I was like, yes, we got work to do. (laughs) I mean, to be six. But like, it was just, okay, but okay. I use that because I mean, barrenness, fart noises, but whatever. Um, that to me, I am, we are, I say I as if I'm solo parenting here, but like I have an amazing husband and he's an amazing daddy. We are responsible for raising white males. I have a responsibility. We have a responsibility for teaching diversity and inclusion now Mm -hmm. and we have worked very 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 hard for that so albeit bare farted I mean for Goose to say how can I help I'm in that's awesome especially for a little white boy from the south let me just put that out there yeah that's okay all right so give us some give us some Give us some additional advice on where to begin. And then we got to circle back around to um, how can, and I asked this question, but know that when I ask this question, it makes me uncomfortable to even say it because I'm afraid I'm going to say the words wrong. How are 
ways that people can check in and have the conversation. As an SLP, you'd think we'd be excellent with conversation holding, but we're not. Um, How can we check in with our black and brown friends? And is it offensive to say black and brown friends? Because that's my immediate follow-up question. Um, Well, so I'll I'll go with that. The with I don't think it's offensive. I I don't think it's offensive. I think people have different um, preferences. Probably like I I and I I have. I've been my whole life. I, I grew up in DC um, at, before it was gentrified, <laughs> uh, and I grew up. Uh, and I and I, but I've also gone to, with the exception of high school, predominantly white schools. Um, and so I have a lot of white friends who I I can tell when they're uncomfortable and say they don't know if they like waver between black and African American. And I'm like, you can just call me black. A lot of us, you can just say black. We don't. We're, we're fine. Like, uh, I, I, it's not a bad word. <laughs> um, I think there's a, sometimes people might say it in a negative way, uh, depending on their tone of voice, but I don't think, I personally don't find it offensive. Um, but, uh, I think you have to kind of figure out folks preference and it's okay to say like, which one, like, you, do you prefer one over the other or something, or does it matter? Um, but, uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, what was the question before it? Oh, checking in, checking in. Yeah, how um, do we, how do we right. check in and, and. It is, okay, so I, if you, if anyone watches the show, This Is Us, there is a very powerful scene um, when it came back uh, and they, when, when the show re, uh, resurfaced or whatnot, restarted the season, um, they picked up, the storyline melded with what was going on in real life. So they picked up with, uh, with George Floyd's murder. Like that happened at the end of one of the episodes. And, uh, and it was something that they kept talking about. Um, and so for those who don't know, there, the story centers around three siblings, uh, a set of twins and their black adopted brother who was born around the same day. It's a whole, it's a whole storyline I won't get into, but um, I've literally never age. seen the show. So oh, it's, a, it's a really, if you want a, a good cry, watch that show. It is a really good show. Yeah, and, that's, I, I watch Moana when I need a good cry because normally it's because I miss my grandma. So like, you know, we're good. <laughs> but, so there's a scene in it where um, the sister uh, is, she, she keeps asking the brother, you know, uh, the black brother, I should say is his, sorry, I should say their names, Kate and Randall. Um, But Kate keeps asking, she keeps trying to check in on Randall. Hey, just checking in, seeing how you're doing. And she thinks she's doing this awesome thing. It's great that she's checking in, but there's a really powerful scene when um, she's like, you, are you mad at me or something? Like, how come you haven't gotten back to me? I just keep, I just want to make sure that you and your family are okay. And he says to her, um, I'm not going to quote it, but, but he basically says, this has been going on. Like we're 40 years old. This has been going on our entire lives. And only now are you asking me about it because it's in the news and you think it's the right thing to do. And I don't, and, and then, because what, what a lot of us do, and this is why that scene spoke to me too, is like, we don't bring it up because it makes, it makes uh, people like non-black people uncomfortable. And we, so we're like, well, instead of making them uncomfortable, I'm just not going to talk about it. I have a lot of my friends are white and I don't talk about it with them because like uh, when, when all the writing was going on, one of my friends, actually, her husband has a restaurant and I, uh, they were, her restaurant was looted. I don't condone that by any means, but, uh, 
they were complaining about that and which I get, but um, because they're innocent and what was going on, um, but not able to see the other side of it. So I was in this really awkward position where I'm like, well, I know why, why people are angry (laughs) and I, and I don't, I don't agree with looting and I know that there were agitators or whatever, but um, we had, she and I ended up having a a real conversation about it. And she's like, you never talked to us about this. I was like, I know, cause you guys, you don't, you don't talk to me about it. You don't ask me anything. Um, So, but by it's, it's hard now because um, you won't, there are times, like I said to my sister, I laugh about this, but sometimes I say, you know, sometimes I'm trying to figure out if people are really nice to me because they don't want me to think they're racist or because it's just how they are. Um, and it's like, that's awful. Yeah. I know it's such a terrible thing, but it's like when we go for like walks and stuff and, and some stranger is like, hello. And, and sometimes you, it just in the last six months, you wonder a little bit, um, but I do, there's just a genuine way of doing it. You know, one thing I appreciated people were checking in when, when all this stuff was going on, cause it was hard. It was really hard. And we were all expected to just act like nothing was going on during work hours. Um, which, which honestly is what led to, uh, calling out that we needed to do some internal DNI work. Um, because a lot of people weren't affected by it and didn't recognize that the rest of us were, um, but, uh, oof, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, we, uh, oh, with checking in, like a lot of people checked in. Um, and sometimes you, you can, t- if it's someone you haven't spoken to in 10 years, but they're like, it's all of a sudden like, Hey, I'm just making sure you're okay. And it's like, that's really nice. But I think you're just doing this because you're probably going through your phone to find all the black people, you know, to, <laughs> to say, Hey, are you all right? Um, but they're just genuine ways of asking. And it's not waiting until something bad happens. Um, one of my friends, when this first started, she and I talk every day and um, she said, how are you doing? And, and I was like, oh, I'm fine. And she goes, no, really, how are you? Um, have you been watching the news? And and I said, oh, with that. And, and she's not someone who ever talked to me about it before, but the fact that, um, you know, I, I don't know. It was just different. We, and it might've been because we do talk on a regular basis. Uh, my best friend, uh, I call her, I, she is like one of the best allies I've ever met in my life. She's amazing. <laughs> and, uh, she, you know, she's got a four-year-old who, uh, will ask if I'm okay. And, <laughs> and who says, who's black lives matter and, uh, learned something at school last week and said, she said, I, I think they learned about like matter for like as far as science goes but then she says she says we learned about matter but like not like black lives matter like that's different yeah she's amazing and um and my friend kat is she's a teacher and just like brings her kids out to marches as similar what you were talking about with your family earlier um she's in a similar boat with hers they, they're out in minnesota and um she gets into <laughs> to Facebook uh, battles and just and with them because their views are just they're not not the same and um, and it's sad and and I and I and it breaks my heart when I hear people like have to to deal with that with their families because I it's we don't have to I mean that's where I guess we have a leg up <laughs> we don't we don't have to do that but um, but yeah I mean just checking and making sure that it's genuine and it's not like 
hey, I saw the news. I just want um, to check in and see if you're okay. And then you don't hear from them ever again. Um, you know, to me, that's that's checking the box and be like, well, I did my due diligence. I'm done. This is <clears throat> I have I have a very dear friend that her and I have talked numerous times throughout this. And her little girl is a little bit younger than um, our boys. And and while we have had the conversations about this, we've also had conversations about um, how do we speak to our children about it? Um, and Bear, bless them. Bear loves the ladies at kindergarten. <laughs> and um, uh, he's down to one girlfriend because he says ladies are just too much. But a couple years, he had six. Haley, he had six oh my girlfriends. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, <laughs> and he, he goes, this is my girlfriend for art class. And this is my girlfriend for recess. And I'm like, you're going to have a lot of divorce attorney fees in your future. <laughs> I had no like, a divorce attorney. One of my good friends is, is one <laughs> to send him up to Virginia. <laughs> oh, God help me with that child. But um, when he was, when he was four, no, three. He he was telling me about his um about his his one my one true love because he was in Arctic therapy and he could not do an L or an R to save his life, and it took me forever to understand what he was saying and because I, I couldn't understand how he was saying the little girl's name because he was in Arctic therapy right and and he would describe her and he goes her. I, I cannot even begin to describe his phonological patterns, but basically her hair made music. That was how he described her. And it took me forever to figure out she had braids with little beads at the end. And when she flipped her hair, the beads clinked and it made music and he loved her. And so I called my, um, I mean, not just because her hair made music, but they also sat together on the bus for field trips. And like, you know, they, he, she would share the blocks with him and the other girls in the class did not know how to share blocks. So, I mean, like sharing is key. And so I called my girlfriend and I was, and we had the conversation. I was like, can, can I, I don't, we, as a white female, I went to the extreme of not wanting to use color adjectives to describe people because I was so afraid of causing offense. And my girlfriend was like, Michelle, it's okay to say the cute little black girl with braids. And I was like, but are you sure? And she goes, woman, listen to me. And I was like, yes, (laughs) ma'am. But like that was, I was so afraid to teach my children those adjectives. And I know this is about professional diversity and inclusion, but that also trickles over into home. And that was, that was, that was, yes. Also, the, he does not go to that school anymore. And I always wonder, like, if he will ever come across his one true love ever again. <laughs> Just, she was so stinking cute. And I also really, really liked her mom. She was really cool. Uh, she was an artist. I like artists. I think that's fabulous. Okay. All right. So to steer us back <laughs> to program <laughs> development, um, we, we've talked about it. We've talked about getting um, stakeholders from members of those communities on it to take time, to take patience, to, you mentioned the importance of writing a incredibly strong mission statement. And then how, here's what I want to know. 
What happens when you get pushback? What happens if you're going through development of a diversity and inclusion program and you get pushback from folks that, what, what, do, what do we do then? Yeah, that's hard. Um, and I, and I say that as someone who recently went through that, <laughs> it's hard. Um, and it's, you have to, it, you have to go I, like I, not to go in with like an, a negative mindset by any means, but one thing I kind of I wish that I had done differently was to go in with at least some kind of like acknowledging that this might not be accepted. I, I think I, we had the timing of everything on our side because of because uh, I mean it was all over the news. It's not something that can be ignored. Uh, but when it when we were tying it tying in like the problems of the world to the problems of our little workplace world. Um, that was, uh, I don't know, it's sometimes it's met with pushback from people who don't see it. And um, which is unfortunate, but it's also like, okay, but some, some of you are in offices, so you wouldn't see this because it's going on where the rest of us sit in cubicles or it's out in the open. Um, we, uh, it, 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 this sounds so cliche, but it's like that. I think it's a Churchill quote, but it's like when you're going through hell, just keep going. Um, that's what I, we obviously had to do. I, I think I took the brunt of it because I ended up I, being kind of the spokesperson for this group, um, partially because of my um, outspokenness. It, before it was created, um, but also I think just because I was one of the I'm one of the older people who are in this group of folks who are trying to instill this change, um, so it, it got frustrating. And and to top it off, like doing the external DNI stuff, um, you know, I said to I was just talking about this the other day. It was like there were times where I was having four to five meetings a day about racism <laughs> and. And it was, and not like racism in the office, just, well, part of it, but like just racism in general and in the industry, in the community, in the workplace, like, and what to do f about it. And um, it, it, it's exhausting. And so, um, you know, you want to keep pushing, but at the same time, you need to uh, give yourself you know, a breather <laughs> every now and then, because uh, one thing that happened with me is that I got really burned out, um, emotionally burned out. And, um, and you know, and, and I work for a really awesome team where um, I had other stuff going on, personal things going on. A lot of, we had a lot of death in my family over the summer, nothing to do with COVID, just, it just happened. And uh, we, uh, you know, my boss one day, I was just a mess. <laughs> and she said, uh, pick a day this week and take the day off and do something for yourself, but don't turn your computer on. Like, I don't want to hear from you that day. <laughs> uh, just That's take a day for yourself. And yeah, and we, she and I had a conversation yesterday about being, all of us being better about self-care. But um, with this, I mean, it was hard. I My sister works in a, in a position where um, she has to deal with a lot of other people's trauma. Um, to, to hear it and and because of confidentiality she can't unpack that on anyone else <laughs> and uh so with this uh, she and i talk all the time about how we have similar but different jobs <laughs> um and uh and so you know 
we it, it is it's like she she tells me all the time like yeah we have they call them respite days where she works and they take a day um I, I guess it would be like a comp day anywhere else but it's supposed to be their day of rest basically um so just making sure that you make time for that because it's hard it's really hard and you have to keep going and sometimes as with any time you're getting pushed back on something um you know you sometimes you need to go back and regroup and maybe reframe your approach and um and present it again but uh i will say when it comes to this kind of thing it's uh there's there's this meme that's like we can disagree we can disagree about pizza toppings we can't disagree about racism uh but it's frustrating i will say that um but yeah it it, it i i do th- i feel like that's i don't know this time around i will say it felt different with everything that happened in may well march may and june um so I pray that it is. I really do. I, I I honestly think it's different because we are still in the great pause. Mm-hmm. And folks have time to reassess where they sit, where they stand, and how they can move and choose to move. Because, yes, we're, it's still a rat race out there, but it's not the pace that it was. We right. are still not running pre-COVID rat race levels, right? And also, I truly see our younger generations, and I'm on the edge of the younger generation. Like, I'm, Same. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, like, I'm, what was it, Gen X, Gen Y? I think I'm, like, in between the two. Yeah, the millennials. <laughs> yes, millennials, that's, that's the thing. Ha, my, Goose got a book series on the Oregon Trail, and it's Choose Your Own Adventure books based off of the game. And I was trying to describe to him a world in which there was one computer for the entire classroom, and it was a station that you got to go to once a week and Oregon Trail was the coolest <laughs> game on it. And he looked at me and I was like, oh my God, I just told him I walked a mile to school one way. Right. <laughs> I do that all the time. DC public schools close at the drop of a hat now. And back when we were in school, I'm like, I remember walking home from school two miles in two feet of snow. Yes, exactly. It didn't work. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God, I lost my point, Haley. That's so funny. All I can, yes, we're so old, but microcosms. But, but with that gener, with this generational change, we're also, we're not afraid to ask the question. Mm-hmm. So for, for those of us out there, and I'm not discrediting those that are older than me, but diversity and inclusion treat um inclusion treatment oh my gosh it kind of is a treatment um this conversation is i see being um led by peers and colleagues our age and younger yeah and we have to have the conversation about ageism because older generations tend to think that younger generations or they have the they don't tend to, but they have the possibility to think that younger generations don't bring stuff to the table, but they do. And I am excited to see where we go as a profession to see process improvement, 
because this impacts how we treat our patients, how we work with our colleagues, how we engage interprofessionally with um, other um, allied health members, other health team members. And this, don't be afraid. Y'all, if you're listening, don't be afraid to have that conversation. Reach out, ask the question and not just checking the box, but ask the real question and then take the step forward because Mm -hmm. we have to do better, period. End of story. Oh, Haley, I adore you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. you. uh, First of all, can I just say, uh, I, I haven't had the opportunity to like sit and chat with you for such a long time that and I know that we're talking about a heavy topic, but um, it's just so good to like to talk to you again. And I, I miss you. I I think I, I still have that picture. But the last time I saw you was probably like the 2018 convention. I think. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I ate so much food. I could barely zip my jeans at that convention. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 I have missed you. You, you, you should just come back. We're in DC. We're coming. Ash is coming to DC. Um, this, uh, November, right? November. Oh my gosh. Okay. We, oh, if, I, if you come up here, call me. I will. I will. I'm, pro- I'm probably going to stay with my kid brother and um, my future sister-in-law. And if they are not engaged by then, I swear on my life, little brother, <laughs> you and I are going to have a conversation. <laughs> so anyway, he's kind of making an honest woman out of her, but also we would probably trade him in for her. So just kidding. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Haley, hold on one second, sweet friend. I have to switch this over to questions really quick. Okay. Okay. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies.